Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today our passage is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. I will read those to start us off with uh, before we dive in here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It's weird going from uh, mostly narrative sections of Scripture to go into letters from Paul. You've usually got a lot more to work with as far as, um, I guess, just word count, content, that sort of thing. But it's funny, you come to the New Testament, we're going to do shorter passages, but the depth in which they go, um, you realize you don't have enough time to talk about the two or three verses when you could, you know, barely scrape by 15 minutes out of like a (laughs) a 10, 12 verse section. Uh, Romans is definitely one of those books that just have so much theology behind it. It was definitely the first biblical book when I originally got into biblical studies um, about 10 years ago that really drew me in. And I had a professor that said, you know, when you get Romans, Romans gets you. And that was very true for me. Romans has so much rich theology in it. This section of our scripture is um, one of the best examples for that, especially just within the book of Romans. Uh, Probably the only one that really is up there is is maybe Romans chapter 3 and then maybe Romans 9 through 11 where you just have these heavy theological sections. Well, Romans 5, 12 through really 21 is a really powerful section of scripture in that it is just deep. It has a lot of, um, you know, maybe like original assumptions behind it that's hard for us to um, grab onto now being so far removed, but hopefully this week in us spending some time in Romans, we will be able to get a a better understanding of it. I want to walk through um, some views we can have of this section of Scripture, 12 through 15, really through this whole section that we're going to be doing this week, deals a lot with the idea of original sin and what original sin is. This debate came up, um, you really first kind of hear it talked about towards the end of the second century. You know, what What about babies? You know, will, will babies go to heaven or hell? What is what is their sin condition? What's their spiritual condition uh, when they die? And and it becomes more prominent in, in the third century where you have a man by the name of Pelagius who first puts forward the view that there is, um, you know, complete free will, that this passage in Romans has nothing to say that anything Adam did was passed on to us, that we do not inherit sin from him in any way, and so there's no reason to, to think that way. 
It wasn't until sometime after when Augustine came in and provided really the total opposite view, which is now normally termed as termed as a total depravity. But let's run through kind of the, the gambit here. We have four, four views we can look at. The Pelagian view, like I just uh, outlined, you could maybe sum it up as, you know, every baby is born in a state of spiritual purity without any depravity or corruption with a free will intact. So this also has to do with free will, this um, concept of original sin. So then you have like semi-Pelagianism which is not quite original sin, but it kind of takes on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, Every baby is born partially depraved, having a soul that is corrupted with spiritual sickness or weakness, with a bent or inclination towards sinning. Still, it's not total depravity. Free will is not lost. Then you have the Roman Catholic approach, which agrees with semi-Pelagianism in some ways, but it differs in that... um, all inherit a state of guilt and condemnation from Adam. An infant dying in this condemned state is excluded from heaven, but he is not consigned to hell either. His fate is to be eternally in limbo, conscious of neither pain nor bliss. Then you have total depravity. Again, uh, authored, sponsored by Augustine in the Protestant Reformation. Luther and Calvin held on to this. This is one of those um, tenets of Calvinism. If you know of the acronym TULIP, it is total depravity. It's the T. Uh, And it states that every baby is born in a state of total depravity or bondage of the will. In other words, his spiritual nature is so corrupted that his free will is gone. He grows up with a total inability to come to faith and repentance in response to the gospel call. Second, every child is born guilty and condemned to hell to which he'll go unless the grace of God sovereignly intervenes. This is why Calvinists rely so heavily on the idea that uh, God is the one who calls us to faith. We don't we don't even make that decision for ourselves. So hopefully that kind of spells out the spectrum of, of belief here. There was a really cool article that Chris printed off for David and I for this week. It's by Jack Cottrell in his book, The Faith Once for All. And this is where he kind of outlines uh, these views. Really helpful to look at if you want to turn to that at some point. But he tackles Romans 5 as well, which we're about to do. So Romans chapter 12 is going to be the big verse that people turn to to kind of make this case for original sin. So let's read it once more. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think this makes sense. It's it's somewhat clear, but let's take it line by line. What can be confusing about this section, too, is that it's even in the Greek, but I think most English Bibles carry it through, too, is that it's like Paul starts a sentence in verse 12 and then breaks off entirely, and he goes into kind of this aside for several verses and really doesn't finish his thought until like verse 18, 19. So it's kind of frustrating, um, but... It doesn't derail us too much. We we can still pick up his thought. So verse 12, just realize at the end of that verse, he's kind of changing gears a little bit. But verse 12 on its own, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we can see that Adam brought sin into the world in the garden. That makes complete sense. God even states that in the, the fall narrative. And death through sin, that was the consequence of Adam's sin. That was the 
the judgment that was put on on Adam is that now death, they are going to die. Him and Eve will die eventually. They're not going to live forever like they could have done in the garden. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. There's some discrepancy between how this um, um, conjunction works here. Should it be translated as because... Um, and, and yes, it should. That makes the most sense, especially within the Pauline corpus. You have several other books where he uses this particular uh, phrase, which is F-O-H-O, and um, it, it's best translated as, as because. So death has spread to all men, not necessarily because of what Adam did, but because all sinned. So we do see there's, there's both views, I think, in play here so far at the start, is that sin has come into the world. We have inherited some type of sin because Adam brought sin into the world, but death has spread to us individually because we have all individually sinned. Okay, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, for sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. He has to kind of point out now, okay, when, where was sin, you know, in the history? What, what is the, maybe he's kind of taking a bird's eye view of, of the history of sin. What's, where did it go after Adam brought it in? And it's in these verses, you can really see that Paul enjoys personifying sin. He does that throughout his, his books, but especially through the book of Romans. San is, you know, personified, made into kind of like a, an actual being. In Romans 5.20, he says that sin reigns. It's in control. It has authority. In chapter 6, verses 16 through 17, he says that sin can be uh, obeyed. You know, it's something to obey. In chapter 6 and verse 23, he says that sin pays wages. In chapter 7 and verse 8, as well as in verse 11 of the same chapter, he says that sin it has the ability to seize opportunity. Okay, so that's an interesting uh, characteristic that sin can take on. And in chapter 7, verse 11 and verse 13, he says that sin can deceive, like it actually can willfully deceive people, and it can also kill people. So that's kind of like a thing that Paul likes to do. He likes to personify sin, and it gives it this depth. If sin can be a character in Paul's letters, it, it is. It has a almost a personality, a will of its own. So sin has always been around, though. It's not just that sin came in when the law came in. In chapter 7, he's going to say that the law made sin known, where it then becomes a transgression, which is the word he uses in verse 14. And there is a difference between sin and transgression, especially in, in Paul's letter here, sin is, and everyone commits sin. Um, transgression is committed once the law of Moses came in because we were then disobeying laws we knew were laws. Sin is uh, laws we're breaking and, and we don't even realize that they're laws. So from the time of Adam to Moses, sin was there. Sin was around. People were sinning, um, even within the uh, Noahic covenant before and after. Uh, sin was there. Uh, the law came in just to make that sin known so that we could avoid it, so we could better know God's will. But now when we intentionally break those laws, it becomes a transgression. 
So verse 14 again, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. See, Adam knew what sin he was doing, and sinning afterwards, before the Mosaic law came in, was was different. People were breaking God's laws without there being a written law, but Adam, in a sense, had a written law. He'd heard it from the mouth of God, don't do this thing, but he did it anyway. And now, He qualifies who Adam is at the end of verse 14. Adam was one who was a type of the one who was to come. And this is the only comparison that can really be made between Adam and Christ. They're not comparable in all ways, but they are comparable in the fact, in the sense of what verse 15 brings to us. That something Adam did passed on to all men, and something that Christ has done has passed on to all men. So verse 15 again. But the free gift is not like the trespass. What Christ has brought in is not like the trespass. So they can be compared in the sense that they brought something in, but the things that they brought in are not the same. This is his reasoning. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. There is, I guess, an argument. I, I don't think it's a good argument that people can bring in here because we have this all and many language uh, and because of Christ's gift has to be better than Adam's gift. Some people also try to make you, these verses work for them in an argumentation for uh, universal salvation, that hell will actually not be experienced by anybody. But because God's grace is so big, it's going to um, actually keep people from, um, you know, being tortured, you know, an eternal conscious torment. It's going to keep people from that. I don't think you can really argue that here. Uh, any commentator is going to bring that up and, and quickly dismiss it because it's just not a good argument based on what Paul's intent here. And that is really where you get the power of this text. We need to realize that in this section of Scripture here, Paul's purpose is to increase our confidence in the all-sufficiency of the death of Christ. He's not trying to talk about original sin. Never at any point he's trying to tell you how sin came into the world. His main point is that the, the human race got or would have gotten from Adam has been completely canceled out for the whole human race by the gracious atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's total point reading anything else into the text, trying to make a argument for original sin, that's not what Paul's trying to do here. So if, if we're trying to do that as readers, we're missing the point of the text. Um, a lot more could be said about this. I know that David and Chris will expound on that in the, in the, in the week to come here. So I hope you look forward to that. I hope this is going to be a good study for you going through this little section in Romans here. I pray that you're looking looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.